You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Well, Tommy, it is an honor to have you on Real Faith Stories. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be with you. I would love to hear your backstory. What led you into full-time business coaching and talk about your book, The 4-8 Principle, which has made a powerful impact in my life and the lives of thousands of other people. My backstory is, is I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. I had four sisters, two parents that were, they were awesome and grandmothers. Both of my grandmothers uh, were involved in my life. One of them died before I was born and the other one died when I was 10. But my grandmothers really had a big influence on me, particularly my mom's mom. But my obsession growing up was in baseball and I was very good and I had big aspirations. Sometime around age 20, it became apparent that I was not going to keep playing. It wasn't going the way I wanted. And so a dream that I had had for my entire life. I mean, basically my entire identity was wrapped up in playing baseball and, and I ate it, breathed it, dreamt it. It was just, I, I loved it. So all of a sudden I found myself at uh, almost 21 years of age. But what do I do now? Because that big initiative, that big agenda I had, that big goal that was dominating my choices and my thought life for all those years was gone. And so I didn't know what to do, but I did start coaching some baseball. Then I got into the workforce and I was working for a software company and I was teaching workshops for end users in the areas of customer order processing and demand forecasting and purchasing. And and I didn't really like the content or the material but I started to get a little kick out of the process of teaching. I started enjoying it and looking forward to it. And these were not like one hour things. These were like four days and five days all over the country. And so simultaneously with learning how to, or figuring out, I had this, this enjoyment and I, I seemed to be getting good reviews. And some of my peers were 20, 25 years older than me. And I was getting better feedback than they were on the customer reviews. I mean, they knew a lot more than me. They had industry experience, but as far as the actual teaching, so then simultaneously, literally in, in a couple of cases across the street from the main office where I was working, I coached baseball. I didn't really enjoy it. And I was 20, just shy of 25 years old. And I was making 27000 dollars a year. It was good money. I was single. I was living in an apartment. Life was fun and something wasn't right. I had this divine dissatisfaction. I was already a big student because of baseball into self-development and uh, developing yourself, growing yourself, learning about yourself, trying to, to develop all of your potential, being a good steward of of your gifts and talents. So that was constantly on my mind and my spare moments were filled up with listening to at the time audio cassettes and reading. I'd already had a pretty big library. And then there was this particular 
Friday afternoon and I was in Atlanta and I was in my fourth floor office. It was around 3.15 in the afternoon. I was filling out a time card on the computer, the old DOS screens that were green and black. I looked out the window and I saw these people down this Mexican restaurant, four floors down across the street, out, you know, on a Friday afternoon, having a good time. And I looked back at my DOS screen. I was literally filling in my hours. And then I, I looked back and I must have done that five or six times. And I thought, why in the world? Am I 24 years old, not doing what I enjoy, when I can be doing anything I want? Mm. I'm not married. I don't have a family. I, I could be doing anything. Why, why am I wasting my life doing something that doesn't seem right for me? Mm-hmm. What fueled this? Well, there was the this clear discontent that maybe out of college I had chosen expediently. I had chosen the opportunity that was the lowest hanging fruit. It was right in front of me Mm. and it was good money and it kept me in a comfortable place uh, geographically and near friends and family. And maybe it was the best offer I had. So I just took it. Mm -hmm. You know, once the novelty wears off, then you have to live with the decision that you made. So back to that Friday afternoon, I finished filling out my time card. I did not go across the street to the restaurant where people were sitting outside having a good time. I instead went back to my apartment and I went for a run. And that next Monday morning, I turned in my resignation. Really? It was very liberating. My dad had been involved with a company that I was getting out of. And I went to him over the weekend and I said, this just isn't for me. You know, thank you for helping me get this opportunity, but I need to follow my own path. And he said, I want you to do what's right for you. You have my blessing. Go do this. And so I resigned on Monday morning and About six weeks later, I started my coaching business. I had no business starting my coaching business. (laughs) So I was barely 25 back in 1991. You know, I just started selling. I I had learned. I'd had sales training. And I was a student of self-development and leadership. And I'd gone to workshops and seminars. And I thought, you know what? There's a gap in the marketplace. Maybe I can fill it. And that gap was... Everybody who's, who's helping people grow at that point back in 1991 is doing it in huge group events and they're going into a town. They're having an hour, three hours, something like that. Then they're leaving and they're going to the next town mm-hmm. and they're all talking about, we'll help you make more money. We'll help you do this. We'll help you build your career. It was, so it was kind of one dimensional. It was big event, one hit, and then it was just on the business side or the sales side. And then there was no follow through or relationship building. And then it all seemed to be aimed also, one other piece to it is be aimed at at people who were at a lower level of accomplishment. I kind of put that all together back in the September and October of 1991 and figured out I kind of formulated a theory. Could I develop a coaching business 
And I'll use the term coach because I'm young and I think that would help me overcome some objections. I didn't really want to be a consultant. That's kind of what I was before with the software. So I said, I'm going to focus on one-on-one coaching. I'm going to focus on building a relationship with my clients, not going in for an hour and leaving them. I'm going to focus on all areas of life, not just the financial side. And then here was a just an interesting twist to it. So and again, I was just barely 25. I'm going to focus on people who are older than me and who have already done quite well. Hmm. So I decided I was going to go after people who had already gotten the silver medal, so to speak, Mm -hmm. the bronze, but who aspired to the gold. Mm -hmm. And I was going to help them get from where they are to where they wanted to be. I was going to help them go from good to great. And, you know, it was a complete dud. I, I started calling on big business in Atlanta and I had no resume, no experience, you know, no nothing to give anybody confidence that I could help. So one of the people I called on said, you know what? I'm not a good prospect for you, but you know what you ought to do? You ought to call on entrepreneurs. So I started calling on entrepreneurs, literally, you know, like old, old, old fashioned where I would go in a building. And before I got kicked out of the building, I would have gone into several suites and tried to speak to the owner, Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur, whoever it was. And I would do cold calling on days where I wasn't coaching, but I got my foot in the door and with entrepreneurs, they related to me. And I said, look, I'm wanting to add value before I want anything from you. Most people were 32, 33, 34 years old and I'm 25. And I said, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to help you with your goals for the next quarter, 12 weeks. I'm going to meet with you every week. And at the end of the quarter, this is what my fee is going to be. $650. And if I did what I said or better, then you pay me this amount of money. Well, lo and behold, that was a pretty good offer. Like, what do you have to lose? I'll give this guy an hour a week. He's not charging me very much. I don't have to pay him anything until it's over. And if I don't like it, I don't have to pay him anything. So 10 of my first 12 paid me. Wow. The other two gave me feedback that was worth way more than what the other 10 had paid me. Mm Mm-hmm. And since they were nice enough to give the feedback and I was coachable enough to listen, I said to them, I thought, why not just take another chance here? I'll just throw this out. Okay, now that you've given me this feedback, how about I take you through the process one more time, double or nothing? (laughs) (laughs) They took me up on it and one is still a client of mine today, uh, 29 years later. From the get-go, it was, you know, helping people optimize their God-given potential, which means we had to help them identify what's standing between them and the changes and the risks that they need to take in order to launch full speed toward the person that God created them to become. Yeah. So that's what we've grown over the last 29 years. In the meantime, you know, I've, I've gotten married. I've been married for 27 years and um, I've got three children. Two of them are grown. One still in high school. So I'm much better now. But what I learned from that experience was when you hear God whispering to you, you need to pay attention. But if you're not hungry for the whisper, you may miss it. Mm -hmm. Probably God wanted me to do something different right out of college. But the cool thing is that I think I did probably choose the wrong thing 
but with God's help, it became the right thing. In other words, he helped me learn what I needed to learn and have the breakthrough I needed to have, even though I probably launched into something that wasn't a good fit for me. It was simply expedient. And that's just part of our human nature is unless we've got some accountability, we will tend, all of us are prone or susceptible to doing what's expedient versus what's prudent or what's wise for us given our unique talents. True. What is it that you're most passionate about? It's helping others become who God created them to become. I love doing that. I love doing it even when it was more precise, let's say onto baseball or early on when I help people more just on the business side. Right now, people that come and work with me, they all have something very interesting in common. And I'm meaning they all do because I think the way we position ourselves kind of deters other people from seeking our help. But my clients want to get to the next level economically without messing up their faith, their marriage, their health. They're not willing to say, well, you know, I didn't reach my economic potential, but I'm really committed in my faith. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I I know I I don't have the relationship with the Lord that I'd like, but, you know, I've really hired a lot of people. And and it's kind of a false choice. Right. It is more demanding and it requires more effort to reach your full potential Mm -hmm. than it does to simply wing it or go through the motions. But there's a pathway that is open to all of us if we're willing to follow it that will allow us to satisfy the things that that we want to do, the things that God is calling us to do, and doing it in a way where, you know, life is a joy uh, during good times and bad. People I was speaking with a few weeks ago said, you know, I think we have the humility thing down, but the confidence thing needs some help in our lives as believers. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. And you know what? It seems like in the last decade, it's gotten worse. This kind of is a bigger picture, but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of biblical truth. And there is so much emphasis today, and this isn't really a bad thing unless there's an imbalance, but there is such an emphasis in the culture today on feelings. You know, some people make their most important life decisions based on nothing more than a feeling. Some people assess what's going on on in the world today completely based on feelings, not on facts. And so they're, they're missing this discernment. You can go through the scriptures and conclude that we are supposed to just express humility. But if you do that, you're intentionally omitting the boldness that we are called to throughout scriptures to do things that glorify God, uh, including believing the scriptures, not just reciting them, but believing that within us is a power that allows us to exceed anything that we can imagine on our own. So it's not something that we just nod our heads to, but something that we actually live by in believing that all things is not a typo, 
that we can do all things with Christ's help. When God is with us and guiding us and leading us, that we are a different person and that the Holy Spirit is not uh, intellectual or theological topic, but it is actually something real that affects our vision, meaning our intuition and our understanding of what's going on in the world. And so too many times we focus on where we're broken or where we fall short in a good intentioned effort to express humility, we reinforce weakness and a lack of confidence. And so there's kind of like the two competing philosophies that are both reasonable, but one leads you down a path where you do bold things, you know, with Christ and through Christ. And one, one leads you down a path of just accepting what is. Mm -hmm. What does God want us to do while we're here? And that is, as I understand it, to serve others using the unique package of time and talent and treasure that we've all been given and using that fully to make a difference in the marketplace, in our families especially. I mean, the most important mission field is in our own household. And without confidence, we tend to attempt less. When we attempt less, we tend to influence less. When we influence less, our legacy ends up falling short from what it could have been. Mm -hmm. We just did a, a whole workshop on the importance of confidence in magnifying what we're capable of doing because confidence is not accidental. I mean, how could we not be confident knowing that God is working through us and for us and that we have the Holy Spirit as a part of our breathing? Mm -hmm. We should be the most confident people in the world. And when you really have confidence through the Lord, and there's some practical things you have to do, but when you have a biblically rooted confidence, there's not the need to violate humility. They work well together, hand in hand. I mean, the really confident person can be humble at the same time. We briefly talked before about the 4-8 principle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is when Paul taught us how to think. And he said, think on what is is lovely and excellent and pure and true, worthy of praise. And I'll bring back a quick uh, baseball story is, you know, I can easily remember I was a line drive hitter. I was fast and I can remember having a good game. I can remember having plenty of bad games. <laughs> and if I was still playing, I'd have plenty of both. You know, I can remember going one for four and just getting one hit and four plate appearances. But that hit really mattered. And I can remember being on cloud nine. I can remember having so much confidence, couldn't wait for the next game. That's because I was dwelling on what worked. I was dwelling on a winning moment. And then I can also remember going three out of four. I'm thinking of a specific game right now. It took me days to get over it <laughs> because I was dwelling on the minority of problems in my life. You know, my problem in my life at that time was, was baseball. And the truth was, the truth is that I went three out of four. But the inner 
conflict, the toxic thinking was I was meditating and dwelling upon my flaw, mm-hmm. the one thing that I goofed up. But otherwise, I was successful. And people do this in marriage. People who, whose marriages have basically gone on a downward spiral because there was one or two issues that were broken, but there were seven or eight that were awesome. But both parties just dwelled on and fixated on what was broken rather than what was beautiful. And that leads down a sure path when you dwell on the rotten stuff. This dovetails perfectly, Tommy, with what I wanted to read from the 4A principle. This is some of the underlining in chapter two entitled The New Beginning. Each moment is a new beginning. Your future is not defined by your past. Your thoughts can change and consequently your future life can become totally different. Train your mind. Negative thoughts do not come from God. If a thought brings about worry, fear, or fatigue, it is not from God. If a thought leads you to feel like a victim instead of a victor, it is not from God. Please expound on that a little. You read one of my favorite parts of the book. Sometimes when I'm speaking, I say it slightly differently, but it's each moment is a new beginning. Each moment is a fresh start. This is one of the most important things to understand. And I wrote it to be encouraging to everybody, to homemakers, to children, to entrepreneurs, to business leaders. Each moment is a new beginning. This means it's quite obvious when we wake up in the morning that each day is a fresh start. There's a sunrise every day. Whether we can see it or not, the sun rises every single day. You know, that's just an amazing blessing, even better than the sun rising every single day and giving us that 24 hour fresh start, you know, every 24 hours is we get a fresh start any moment we want it by changing the way that we think. And so each moment is a new beginning. Each moment is a fresh start. If we're willing to change the way that we think and how should we change the way that we think we should run our thinking through the four, eight filter is what we've been talking about. If you're having a conversation with a buddy, having a conversation with your spouse, is it focused on what's lovely, pure, true, gracious, just is, is what you've been watching. Is it lovely, pure, true, gracious, just is your phone conversation. Does it pass the four, eight test? Is it lovely, pure, True, gracious, excellent. If you go into different translations, you hear words like noble, of good rapport. It's just really an amazing meditation. And we need to realize we don't need to be perfect, of course, but we need to focus on growth. And we, if we don't get our thought life under control, then the rest of our life won't be under control because a business begins with your thought life mm-hmm. and a business ends with your thought life. A marriage begins with a thought. At some point you track it back, trace it back. There's a thought of some person saying, I'm going to connect with that other person. And then the thought of I'm going to ask her out for a date or however it worked. It was a thought that led to an action and The same way that you get into a relationship, you get out of it if that were to happen. It's a thought, and then that thought builds on another thought, and that thought builds on another thought. And then 
all of a sudden it's multiplied and you feel like your thought life is running your life. And that's not the way God intended. And of course, that can happen in business too, where we start to think about what might go wrong and what opportunities we missed and what we might lose and what they did to us. And we start playing defense. Mm -hmm. And that's what I steer people away from. I steer my clients toward growth. That doesn't mean being impulsive or rash. But it means that you're not going to be a good steward when you focus on safety all the time. Safe is a four-letter word. Of course, I'm meaning that almost literally, maybe not 100%. But even with what we've been dealing with as a country, it's like people are worshiping safety. That's their number one priority. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? If you could make some other things your priority, you wouldn't have to worry so much about safety. But it's not, you know, I can't think of a biography that was written about anybody that played it safe. <laughs> I can't think of any biblical heroes that lived a safe life. Pretty gnarly and dirty lives, weren't they? Yes. And I mean, think of some of the people that God used to do tremendous things. I mean, there are some modern parallels. God, God used unsavory character to do some of the greatest things ever. And isn't that the way God would do it? Yeah. You can't predict it. It's just interesting. I mean, that is one thing that my grandmother, my mom's mom, I told you earlier, had a really profound influence on my life. I called her Lily, L-I-L-L-I. And, you know, she introduced me to Charles Swindoll uh, years and years ago. And she introduced me to Norman Vincent Peale. And she introduced me to Charles Stanley. And she put Philippians 4.8 in front of me on a bookmark that I put in my Bible when I was in middle school and I carried it with me through college. And then I, you know, go my different paths and then I end up coaching people. I remember going back to that Bible and I see that bookmark and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is so true. And nobody is using this verse in a practical way. It's poetic. It's philosophical, but God inspired Paul to write that because he intended for it to be tactical. Yeah. Something that we actually use in our businesses with our team, with our assistants, something we use with our husband, our wife, something that we use with our children. And it doesn't mean we need to be perfect and it doesn't mean we stick our head in the sands. Focusing on solutions is a 4-8 activity. You know, brainstorming options. Mm-hmm looking at what we should do next. That's all 4-8 thinking. Rehearsing mistakes, living in the past, marinating in grievances, all of that is 8-4 thinking. That's upside-down thinking. All that does for you is amplify the problem, the challenge, the obstacle, the grievance. All, all it does, it doesn't make it go away. It just exacerbates it in your own psyche, which doesn't lead to any kind of permanent resolution. What have you found, Tommy, to be the fastest way to flip your thinking from negative to positive? Oh, I, I love that. It's a two-parter, but they work together. The first part of it, if I could only give you one answer, it would be this. Flood yourself with positive mental nutrition. Flood yourself with positive mental nutrition. This means feed yourself via what you read, watch, listen to, surf, 
and converse conversations with people. Feed yourself things that are positive, inspirational, wholesome, motivating, educational, engaging, uplifting. In other words, what did I just paraphrase? Philippians 4, 8, right? Right. Uh, so, so then the second part to the answer may be more important, but you'll see why I think they're so closely connected. Bookend your day with your best positive mental nutrition. In other words, when you wake up, we call it your early morning success ritual, your EMSR, and wake up. Part of what you do in the morning is you should probably connect with God, you know, mm-hmm. you should review your goals or your mission statement or both. You should read something that inspires you or provokes you in a positive way. You should put into your mind ideas that promote growth, that remind you of why you believe what you believe, that prompt you to be a better person and make healthier micro choices throughout the day. Then you live your day and, and, and life is tough. It really is tough. There's lots of problems today. You come home and before you go to bed, before you sink into sleep, you have another episode. It doesn't matter how long it is, but 10 or 15 minutes could be longer. In addition to praying, of course, you read, you watch, you listen to something uplifting and inspirational, something that makes you want to take a smart risk, something that makes you want to leave a bigger legacy, something that makes you want to serve people in ways that they haven't yet been served. And so this doesn't mean you've got to, you know, we're in the middle of a, of some important decisions that have to be made for the country and worldwide things. So this doesn't mean you stick your head in the sand and you can't ever watch any news. It means rather you have a budget. You don't get swept away in the headlines. Instead, you are strategic about the consumption of media not just news, but also Netflix and things that are on your mobile devices and so forth. You just want to be intentional mm-hmm. with it. You, you know, if you want to be really, really fit, you make advanced decisions about what you're going to eat and not eat, what you're going to drink and not drink. And if you want to be really spiritually fit and have the joy that God wants for you, you've got to make advanced decisions about what you put in your mind. Because if you're putting it in your mind, it sinks into your soul and it leads you to see the world as the world sees the world, not to see the world as God sees the world. God sees the world, I think, through a 4-8 lens. He looks at things and sees how they can be lovely and excellent. I've got a friend who was in the Air Force. You talk about advanced decision-making. He trained over and over and over, of course, as a pilot, how to eject over and over so that it was muscle memory. I think really what you're alluding to is that very same thing for all of the decisions and the ways in which we want to improve ourselves. Is that fair? Absolutely. I mean, I I was just thinking, you know, we've all had um, little spats with our spouses and even a little one can kind of throw you off, right? Mm -hmm. And so you find yourself maybe 10 minutes later, hour later, next day, you're you're in the car or you're doing something and, and all you're thinking about is the words that were exchanged with your spouse. Oh yeah. You know, it's kind of like, like it's got you, mm-hmm. it's got you. So what I have found is, you know, that's going to happen to all of us, right? So we move on from that, but 
you know, when computers started coming around, there was the phrase about how they're programmed, garbage in, garbage out. It was yeah. Geigo, garbage in, garbage out. But when I started doing the 4-8 teaching, which was long before I wrote the book, I thought, why does the G have to stand for garbage? <laughs> you know, why mm. can't it stand for good? Yeah. Good in, good out. So if something comes out of you, it was first put into you. For me, in my learning style and convenience and then modern technology, what a great blessing. I mean, the internet is like a, just a metaphor for everything. I mean, hmm. some of the worst things in the world you can access through your phone, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but you have a choice. Yes. Just the internet in general, you can just reach into the depths of evil through the internet, but there is so much good stuff. There's so much four, eight material that is available and accessible and convenient that I don't care. You know, for years I had a four minute commute. I would go through so many books and programs on audio, even with a four minute commute. Mm -hmm. You can do the simple math. If you're in the car for eight to 10 minutes a day, that adds up, believe it or not. And of course I would listen when I was working out and then I'd have appointments. So, so that would count, but it's just one of the bad things about the phone doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the internet or nefarious things that you can access. It has to do with efficiency. So you may remember, you know, it used to be a time when anybody that was a business leader, an entrepreneur, a high performance salesperson, they knew that they needed to always be studying and listening and consuming, right? So then when the phone comes around, it's kind of interesting because now you can be efficient in the car. You can make those calls. And so the listening to positive mental nutrition can be pushed off in favor of knocking that phone call out before I get home or before I get to the office. But podcasts, sermons, audiobooks, mm-hmm. it's just amazing what's available to us if we take advantage of it. One of the key things in your book, the 4-8 principle, is affirmations. And you've got many of them in the back of the book. Explain why that's so powerful, please. Yes. An affirmation is a perfect expression of faith. And the way that we learn and the way that we believe is through repetition. And so an affirmation is the perfect expression of that. It, it is a reinforcement of what the truth is. So from the moment my, let's say my oldest, really all three of my children were born, the first words they heard from me were, you are a beautiful, wonderful child of God. And that is an affirmation in and of itself. My children, as they grew up, they also heard often at bedtime, but at other times they heard, you have what it takes because I wanted to breathe life into them. So you can affirm others but you can also affirm yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do that in our workshops. It's self-talk. And so some people think it's hokey. Uh, some people don't understand it, but we are constantly affirming. That's what everybody needs to understand is it's not one of these things where you go, well, I like some of what Tommy said, but you know, I'm not really, I don't really buy into that affirmations. Well, it really doesn't matter what you buy into because you are affirming 24-7. I mean, you are thinking, mm-hmm. as long as you are awake anyway, you are thinking something. And that something is either in agreement with God's greatest plans for you 
or they're not. And so another way to think of an affirmation is a intentional statement, either thought silently or spoken aloud that reinforces God's best plans for your life. You know, if I was telling you about gravity and you didn't believe in gravity, that doesn't exempt you from the force of gravity. But it's important because that's a way to really take control of your thought life. I mean, I focus on what's lovely, pure, and true. I focus on what's lovely, pure, and true. With God's help, I feel unstoppable today. You know, that kind of, yeah. God is working through me and my wife today. Um, I, I build up my son. I take him to school every morning. He's in ninth grade, but I did that for my older boys. I've made uh, affirmation, if you will, uh, MP3s. After September 11th, I had two of my three children at that time. One of my boys came up to me, uh, my oldest one, Ty, and he said, Daddy, what happens? Who's going to do our nighttime routine if you end up on one of those planes that crashes? Mm, wow. It makes me start to tear up right now just thinking of that. So fortunately, given what I do for a living, a couple of weeks later, I was in the recording studio and for Christmas that year, you know, I made the two younger boys at the time, or two older, I guess, I made them a CD with everything that I thought was true. God has great plans for your life. Mommy and daddy love you forever, always, no matter what. So I believe it's important for my children, but I also start my day. Part of my early morning routine is to remind myself of the truth, the things that I believe God would agree with if he were standing with me in physical form, mm -hmm. because the rest of the day, I mean, people may be shooting arrows at me. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those thoughts and would love for you to pray for our listeners as we wrap up here today. Sure. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for all that you've given us, uh, past, present, and future. I pray for all of our thought lives that we do take the advice shared by the Apostle Paul and that we focus on, which means we think about what is lovely and pure and true and excellent and worthy of praise. You are all of those things. I pray especially for those who are in business and who are serving others in the marketplace that you would give each of us favor during good times and through the difficult times that you would uh, illuminate our understanding so we see better ways to serve and add value and contribute in the marketplace. I pray for our country. I pray that your perfect will will be expressed. I pray that evil or deception of any kind would be exposed. I pray for peace and hope for each and every individual soul in this country. I pray that your grace would be demonstrated and abundant. And I just thank you for all of our individual freedoms and for the great plans that you have for us, not only as individuals, but as a nation. In Jesus' name. Amen. How can people find out more about you, Tommy? They can go to TommyNewberry.com. TommyNewberry.com is the easiest way to reach out to me. We have a unique product that builds on the 4-8 principle is called Joy Challenge. You can go to joychallenge.com or you can probably find your way to anything that, that we have out as far as resources by going to tommynewberry.com. But one of those two sites, tommynewberry.com or Joy Challenge, uh, you'll find me. Fantastic. Tommy, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.